the other day I was listening to one of my like playlists that uh, Spotify will make where they kind of pull things in a specific genre or something that they think you'll like. Mm-hmm. And it gave me the the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, which okay. is a... Uh, oh, that's that spoken word thing that... No, that is a song by Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, I guess I, maybe it's not spoken word, but yeah, it, I knew that was a Leonard it, Nimoy it's, song. It's technically sung. Like, it's it's not great, but uh-huh. entertaining nonetheless. And then uh, I clicked in. Apparently, he had a, almost a dozen albums. So I, I was clicking through, like, on Spotify, you can pull up an artist, and it has this little bio written about him, which I thought was just a real great degree of shade, which is, it says... Uh, On the surface, it seems Leonard Nimoy succeeded at whatever task he tackled. He acted in films, television, and theater, and most likely will be linked forever to his memorable portrayal of Star Trek's Mr. Spock. He was an author of poetry and other works, as well as a director and a producer. He even recorded almost a dozen albums, and there, unfortunately, is where Nimoy finally faltered. (laughs) That's... Where is this, Mario? This is... If you just click on, like, Leonard Nimoy as an artist on Spotify, it has a little, like, about section and I, I i'm trying to figure out who so it's like an anti-recommendation on spotify's own apparently yeah thing it's like a little like bio of him if you if you have the chance to i i think that probably on youtube you could find the actual like video for it of the ballad of bilbo baggins which is leonard nimoy and like a bunch of people wearing spock cosplay like singing a song about the hobbit in, in just like the weirdest <laughs> confluence of, of pop culture that is also just musically not great but well the hobbit was one of those like too yeah one of those strange like very surreal experiences that i can only recommend but also not yeah i can forgive him because i think he's probably the best thing about the episode we're about to talk about yeah oh i mean he I feel like that's probably true of most things he appears in. He's he's among <laughs> the best things in it. He's he's quite good. I love Nim- Nimoy. Yep. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Out of Contracts, a show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today we are talking about a big one, a, a big time episode in Star Trek history. It later spawned a movie, which then spawned a different worse movie. <laughs> it is Space Seed, which is uh, the original series, season one, episode 24. Uh, despite being episode 24, it is still six whole episodes away from the end of the season one, because there are 30 episodes in season one of original series. <laughs> uh, it is uh, directed by Mark Daniels and uh, written by Gene L. Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur. And yeah, this is the this is the inaugural con episode. So um, the uh, synopsis on Memory Alpha: uh, the Enterprise discovers an ancient spaceship carrying genetically enhanced supermen from the late twentieth century Earth and their enigmatic warlord leader, Khan Noonien Singh. Which it is weird that his that for whatever reason they decided to make um, the guy who made Data have like a almost identical name. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think to... they were both named after some like friend of the show, the uh, friend of Roddenberry or friend of one of the writers or something that was named 
Uh, I feel like I've read about this before. Like named Noonien, maybe named Noonien Singh or Noonien Soong. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, me, it's, I'll have to look up that. But yeah, it's it's, it's they're odd. both named after uh, like a real person with a similar sounding name that mm-hmm. apparently like giving him one of the most well-known villains in Star Trek was like not homage enough that they then also decided to name a like accomplished cyberneticist after him as well. Yeah, it's uh it's funny. So, yeah, this is a pretty famous uh, episode. I will say I was really expecting to like love this. It's been a long time since I've seen this episode. I liked it, but there was definitely some stuff in it that kind of I feel like the show's uh, cultural context stuck out for me a little bit more than it sometimes does when we watch these episodes. Certainly, it's yeah. not, nothing like uh, nothing like uh, Alana Troyes or something like that. But um, well, I mean, it's more like it than I feel like I remembered it being. Yes, yeah, that definitely, definitely, yes. Except that the bad guy is the abuser in this one. I don't know. We'll get into that. I, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there definitely is some stuff where it kind of feels like. I think we mentioned last episode that Uhura gets a good scene in this, which she does, and it is sort of like a huge relief that she does because up until that point, it does kind of seem like the episode is just kind of be like, ah, women are so weak, you know. And yeah. Fortunately, they do get like a woman to do like probably the coolest thing in the episode, all things considered. Uh, so that that does yeah. help a little bit. So it's just kind of like. It kind of comes more like this specific woman is very weak, but which is a little better, you know. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get to we'll get to all of that. So, yeah, I would say it's I enjoyed it, but I agree it definitely is is not perfect. There are better episodes. There, are, yeah, of of the original series. There are for sure. But but at the same time, I will say too, I definitely understand why they brought. Ricardo Montalban back to be in a movie because he's really good. And, he, and yeah, he they, is in this in this episode as well as in the movie. His yeah. like his presence and acting in that or he just does he does a tremendous job as Khan. I feel. Yeah, and they also like very much leave it open in this episode that like he's clearly not dead or anything like that. So it it does it also like sets it up to be yeah. to be a thing, but. He he does a really good job, so I, I definitely get why you know why he was kind of called back for for Wrath of Khan, but um, yeah. So take uh, let's 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 go for it. Let's take it in. All right. So it starts out with the Enterprise comes across this very old sort of derelict ship that's kind of floating through space and broadcasting a distress signal, and they first are kind of confused because it's actually it's broadcasting in. Uh, just in Morse code, which it seems like Uhura still knows, but it seems like is not like a thing that's used anymore. Well, he, Uhura knows it, and then and then Kurt kind of brags that he also knows it when she yeah. when she starts translating it. He's like, "We know what it is." And it's like, "Well, what?" You? He he was kind of a he was kind of a tool in this episode. Kirk was. I mean, he sometimes is in yeah. in other episodes too, but yeah, he he's kind of like, "Oh, I know, I know Morse code. Yeah. What are you talking about?" <laughs> I also wrote down so. I have to admit, I never noticed or, like, processed in my mind how Spock says sensors until, until, until that episode that. of Lower Decks that kind of, like, made fun of it. 
Um, but yeah. now every time I, I notice it and it makes me laugh. Um, yeah, that's that's and, how um, and Worf, Worf says does that. too. Yeah, yeah, Worf is like uh, sensors. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, it's it's one of those things that I never noticed until it was pointed out to me, and now I can't unhear it. Yeah, because uh, essentially, this they find that this is an like a very old ship from the <laughs> from the mid nineties. Um, yes, which was a period in Earth history that was marked by the eugenics wars, which were these sort of global world wars that took place between kind of a few humans that were engineered through through eugenics, through selective breeding. Um, and like biological, like cell modification. Yeah, like an enhancement. So they're, they were stronger and smarter and kind of in every way superior to humans and then tried to take over the world and there was a big war and, and all of these things. Um, and this is something that I think is, it's been, I think, kind of uh, retconned a little bit through time, but I know they referenced it a few times in Next Generation um, with like World War Three or the Eugenics Wars um, as just kind of this like the last sort of kind of dark time of, uh, of Earth history. Not to be a total pedant, but uh, I'm going to pedant on you for a, a, a second. Um, I'm actually. Yeah. The eugenics wars are like a, a an early to mid-90s thing, according to the original canon of the show. Although then later on, that's kind of ignored by by Voyager, I think, a little bit. But World War Three happens in... I'm always I'm never quite exactly clear on this, but I think it's it's either in like the 2020s or the 20... 30s ironically they uh, may have been closer to reality with with that one (laughs) i i I really i truly cannot wait for us to watch um the two-part uh past tense episode uh from from ds9 because it takes place in 2024 and it's kind of about like the final societal breakdown like before world war three happens it's it really is like I was watching. I'm like, this could happen. It's a little too real. <laughs> like, yeah, like the circumstances that like they're they're in like I can't remember if they're in San Francisco. They probably are because they always go to San Francisco. But they're either in San Francisco or L.A. And like the circumstances that are there, I'm like, this is this honestly like is a this is a conceivable thing. Like I, I don't I don't I don't think we'll probably be there in four years or three years now. I guess, but uh, it. It's certainly, like, it, it's very keyed into the aura of, like, late-stage capitalism that that uh, we find ourselves in now. It's it's kind of it, – it's, yeah, it's, like, one of, one of, like, the most, like, keyed-in Star Trek, like, future predictions of all time, I yeah. think. Um, the one thing I remember think – I like, when I stopped to think about it with this one is if the – like, the eugenics words took place in 1999 – I feel like that anytime you like predict something in the future, I feel like in science fiction, it's always funny because then the future comes and you're just like, you know, ha ha ha, 2001 A Space Odyssey was so different from what 2001 was actually like, or like 1984 was so different. But I feel like the 90s was a pretty ambitious prediction, even at the time, if you're dealing with stuff like eugenics and it's like like that's essentially one generation removed from the 60s when the show was being made 
to have right. to, to for like just the physical amount of time it takes for people to reach adulthood to suddenly have a race of supermen when they hadn't even started yet at the time. <laughs> yeah, they weren't doing like cloning or anything. Yeah, I guess there were some sort of mild eugenics proponents at that time and and even clearly before that um around right. world war ii and that but but it wasn't really like like genetically altering so much as it was like you know people who didn't like the idea of like race mixing and like other yeah nasty racist kind of stuff like, like that it was all like races it was all like race it was just all more racism, than it was yeah. but yeah but just the idea that like 30 years from now we will have like somehow a bunch of people in their 30s or like at the most 20s trying to take over the world was i feel like though i think i've read like that like technology kind of like always proceeds at like a more and more rapid pace like you because you use the technology you have to then further your understanding of technology right you know beyond that like you know and so for most of humanity, we didn't have phones, you know, and then we had phones and then we had cell phones pretty quickly. It, it, right. and like pretty and quickly. Then, it's like cell phones became smartphones. And then now like there are smartphones with like glass that you can fold. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Like I could see something like that happening 30 years from now. Like, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit different when you're talking about technology though, than when you're talking about something that, involves like the breeding of humans sure i guess i guess you just run up against like people's lifespans and like how long a generation takes at a certain point i don't know yeah it was the space age people were feeling that's right you know they were feeling themselves uh (laughs) but um that ship the the hms botany bay yeah is from the 90s it also and i love the aesthetic of the show i love the shots of the botany bay like up next to the to the enterprise but uh, I was like, it also, it looks like it's from the 90s and that like, it looks like a ship that I might have seen in X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, you know, like, as, <laughs> like something you have escorting. to like either protect or destroy, depending. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I did actually, I feel like that shot, because there, there's a shot pretty early on where it's the Enterprise next to the Botany Bay. And I feel like it just very much for me, like reminded me of how cool the enterprise looks as just like the design of the enterprise i feel like is so great and so like Mm -hmm. visually like striking and like pretty especially compared to like i feel like the the botany bay is much more the like design of a spaceship that you would think of at at that time in science fiction in the 60s right like it looks like something from like space 1999 or lost in space or like one of those types and like just the the way that the enterprise is such a like unique design and shape like i just it's just such a classic look but in such a different way than anything else and i feel like it Mm -hmm. kind of calls attention to that when you put it next to like you said something that's just like this is what a spaceship like it's like not too different from an actual like what we were using as spacecraft at the time but just yeah. what you would kind of reasonably extrapolate that forward to looking like. Yeah. They do good ship designs on just in all of Star Trek. Yeah. You know, not every, not every race has a great one, but like, I do like that. That's like one of the things I always like about the show is that you always know when you're looking at a Klingon ship or a Romulan ship or, or a Ferengi ship, even, yeah. you know, like they all have, they all have like very 
like culturally distinct designs yeah. um and they're all like pretty pretty cool looking yeah and i feel like for the second episode in a row we've like talked a lot before actually starting the uh the episode yeah but this but is this is like positive though this is that's a positive true. That's discussion true. um we we got to get some some star trek standing out there every now and then so yeah they beam onto the spotney bay which they note is uh also the name of like the former prison colony in uh it's not the hms botany bay that's uh, it's it's just the ss botany bay apparently but um uh yeah they, i yeah, don't they, know why they, for some reason i keep thinking like i always want to call it the same thing maybe it's because of the hms bounty i don't know maybe yeah um so yeah they beam on and um, yeah, they know that that's like the same name as like an old prison colony in Australia, which is kind of funny because then in like one of the least progressive Starfleet things of all time, I feel like we kind of sort of it's implied in the pilot of Voyager that Australia is once again a prison, a prison colony. colony again. <laughs> right. But like a nice <laughs> one this seems time. Seems nuts. <laughs> well, yeah, except for they're still like forcing inmates to do labor you know presumably like slave labor like yeah <laughs> so it's, it's not uh the 13th amendment must not exist uh right well, or yeah. it must be similarly ignored like it is here um <laughs> anyway yeah. they get on there and um they find a bunch of sleeping people and they they take with them the the ship's historian um who's a like not one of the sort of regular recurring characters but is a character named uh, lieutenant macgyvers who yeah. I think she first shows up like she's in her room just surrounded by various artifacts and old earth things that she like carries around on the starship that she's the historian of. Well, mostly she, she has like a bunch of paintings that she, she paints pictures of famous oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, people. So like, I think she's like in the process of trying of, of painting like a, like a Roman legionary or something um, when she gets called yeah. and, uh, Kirk seems to like be very disrespectful to her. Like he doesn't really like see the point of having a historian. Yeah, he's like, bring that that historian, whatever her name is. Like this will this will be something for her to do. <laughs> yeah, um, and it it does kind of seem like she doesn't have like a lot going on. Like which right. is why she has so many paintings because she's almost like, huh, okay, all right, I'll go. I'll get to go out and do a job. You know. Yeah. Like that, um, this that that this hasn't happened before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they go on. They you know it, they find it's very old, um, and. It's from Earth, and and yeah, then they kind of figure out it's like a. I guess it's not really like cryogenics because they're not like frozen, but like there's. Yeah, but they're in like a, suspended a animation. Suspended yeah. animation, yeah, yeah. So it's got seventy uh, something people on it that are all from Earth at that time. That are their vital signs are sort of like turned almost all the way down to nothing, and they're they're sleeping and. Um, have been for hundreds of years since since they first took off. And when they sort of like start to activate, like kind of investigate the ship, one of those units starts to kind of wake the person in it up and they think, well, this must be sort of the captain or the leader of this ship. And so it was programmed to wake him up first and then he could decide what to do with the rest of the people. Well, uh, yeah, they're trying to figure out what to do and like Khan's life support unit starts breaking and he's gonna die and they macgyver's had already kind of been like checking him out was like very fascinated by him but also like begs kirk to save him yeah the the sort of presentation and implication of it that being because she thinks he's hot 
so first, <laughs> this is also where they sort of canonize that in, in addition to having the name Khan, that the character is from, they say he's from like Northern India. Like he's a Sikh from Northern India, which yeah. I, I forget if we went into this on the wrath of Khan or not, but I feel like we do have an obligation to, to point out that if you had to come up with like the least Indian name for a person that you could, it might be Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if it wasn't, yeah. then it would be Benedict Cumberbatch. But. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Benedict Cumberbatch, I feel like that's kind of like him playing Khan in, in Star Trek Into Darkness is kind of supposed to be that that kind of Firefly thing of like, oh, we're all Asian. Like, that's like this weird like thing. It's a weird, it's a very strange little thing in Firefly, which is a show that I liked a lot, you know, when I watched it, but I have not seen it for years. So, yeah. But like where basically they kind of. Like whenever they swear, they swear in mandarin or whatever yeah like the the underpinning of the show is that like because there are more you know chinese people than like any other like people group on earth or you know or something you know or there's there's something like more people in like kind of east asia than there is anywhere else that like as mankind proliferated that like there's just everyone's got like a little bit of Asian yeah. ancestry and so a lot of like that that speech and stuff is filtered in, which is then like weird because none of the characters on that show. Yeah, I was about to say I don't Asian, know uh, why you would pick ancestry. like the most white British person and named person as you could to. Uh, but to yeah, that's that. I. I feel like that's kind of like the implication that they're playing with. Maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm just thinking that myself just because of Firefly, but that's kind of what I was kind of getting from him. Uh, well, I, I was going to say about this scene too that uh, we've got our first kind of like oh, that's unfortunate like moment in this, which is that apparently according to Star Trek, um, the term Orientals kind of like comes back into uh, <laughs> usage um, in in the future. Is that apparently it's not offensive anymore to call uh, Asian people uh, Orientals, and people just start doing it again because that's what Scotty says, I believe. Is it? I believe. Yeah, I believe that's. Uh, it's either Scotty or MacGyver's. I think it's Scotty says that uh, Khan is Oriental. Which again, if he's from, if he's from India, I don't think that's. I don't that even think that's like accurate to the slur right. that they're saying. Like, <laughs> but um, uh. but yeah, she thinks he's hot. But she's also, I would say, I think they kind of retcon it later to say that she definitely thinks he's hot. But she's also just super fascinated by him because. He is history. Like it's like yeah, you find yeah. out later on that he's he basically was for a while like king of Earth or like tried to be king of Earth. And so not only is he historical, he is like he's like Napoleon. Like like he he would be like someone who in like my favorite Star Trek trope where they name two real people and a fake person. Like he'd be the fake person. Yeah, name and Khan. Where they'd be like you know Napo- Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Khan. You know, yeah, that's, that, that's that guy that conquered it. all of Earth for a while before they finally. Yeah. Drove him off. Anyway, though, they, they get him They get him off, and uh, he goes to sickbay, and they're kind of like... He's in a coma, though, because he, he kind of like... Yeah, so the, the, the stasis chamber he was in, when it starts to wake him up, then it malfunctions, and he starts almost dying. Like, his heart rate starts dropping, and McCoy's like, he's about to die, and Kirk has to essentially like break the glass and drag him out of it. Um, and they, they take him straight to sickbay and start kind of rehabilitating him and and seeing if he'll recover um and so they they wait to wake up any of the other people on the ship until they sort of find out if they can save this first one or not 
and then uh, while he's waking up, they they have uh, a scene between Kirk and Spock where they're kind of talking about really what's going on here. And I think that's when they they suggest that like if this was called the Botany Bay, could it have been like a, a prison ship or something like that? And essentially, they're very confused that there's no record in sort of Earth history of uh, of this ship existing or of these people leaving on it. And so they're trying to figure out who these people on this ship are. And then uh, we go back to sickbay and Khan sort of wakes up while McCoy is over in his office doing d- d- researchy doctory things. Well, yeah, he's, cause he's, they've been talking about how basically he has like this superhuman recovery ability basically. Yeah. And yeah. And so he's trying to figure that out. And then, yeah, he wakes up and he, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there is a um mounted on the wall of yeah. the sick bay there is apparently like a kind of like a yeah a, d- a decorative piece of wall art that is just like a bunch of old like medical equipment like, like surgical instruments yeah so I, I from from what i could tell from looking at that they are one of them is definitely like a thing for delivering babies with like sort of a sort of curved thing that you can use to to help bring out a baby's head um yeah. there's just like a hand drill um there's a different kind of retractor there's what i'm pretty sure are just nail clippers i think is one of the things <laughs> well yeah in the future you use lasers right yeah so you don't need them anymore maybe you can put your fingers into like the replicator and they'll just they'll reconstitute like just the the ends of your fingernails you yeah know? right uh and then <laughs> or or they use sound maybe right yeah sonic clippers <laughs> sonic clippers but everyone always comes out sweaty anyways. I don't understand why. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, there's there's just like an otoscope. The, the Sonic Clippers also, that that was like the proposed name of um, when they were going to merge the NBA teams from uh, L.A. and Seattle. <laughs> um, That's so. right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joke for no one. <laughs> the Sonics aren't even a team anymore, I don't think. No, they're um, not. They're, they're now they were the, when I was a child, though. They were. They're. I mean, they're now the Oklahoma City Thunder. So. Oh, they that's are. Where, yeah, okay. that's where that team came from. Is is they, in a like very contentious thing that probably no one out of either Seattle or Oklahoma knows about. They, like, stole the t- like some business group from Oklahoma went and just like bought the Sonics, and apparently told Seattle like, oh, we're just like buying the team because they're bankrupt and we definitely have no intention to a year later just like up and move them to Oklahoma where all of us are from. Mm. Um, and there were like lawsuits and everything, but yeah, but, but then on this, on this set of like various medical instruments, there's, uh, like a, a scalpel or a knife at the bottom that he goes and grabs so that then when McCoy comes back to talk to him he, or to check on him, he like jumps up and holds the, the scalpel to McCoy's neck and McCoy just like, doesn't care at all. <laughs> it's a, yeah, that's it's a pretty great McCoy really scene. I feel like. Yeah, he just says he says, "Well, either choke me or cut my throat. Make up your mind." Like, it's, yeah. it's really awesome. And then he's he's like kind of looking at him like, and and then he's like, "Yeah, I just right below my ear, get the yeah, uh, get the carotid, carotid artery." Like, yeah, and yeah, Khan's like, "Where am I?" And he's like, "You're in bed and you're threatening your doctor." Yeah, that's a really good uh, bone. Some great scene. bones. That's kind of like yeah. his main scene in the in the episode. And yeah. Later on, he's not really in the rest of it, but yeah. There's a lot, there's some good like character work in this from like the people who aren't the main characters of the show because like Spock gets some good stuff yeah. and like we said you know her gets something good later too. Yeah, and so Khan kind of 
wakes up and like essentially summons Kirk. Like you can tell right away he very much has this like cocky demeanor of that he he's just someone who gets what he wants. Um, and so he says like, "Where is your captain? I have questions." And and then McCoy goes over to the communicator and he calls Kirk and he says, "I have someone here who has many questions." Um, <laughs> Yeah. He has a great uh, one, another one of those great like uh, analog pieces of, of technology in in the original series. I, you know, last time we did an original series episode, we talked about how like there's a safe that Kirk opens and he get he pushes buttons on it and it goes like beep boop boop, and then there's just there's just like the speaker on the wall in this episode with like this very like hefty button that you just kind of like click in like almost it's like it's the top of a pen or something mm-hmm. and to, and you can talk to the bridge when it's clicked in and you click it out to to make it go to, go back to turn off. yeah <laughs> um yeah and so khan kind of introduces himself to the people on the ship and they uh sort of over dinner are talking with him and talking about like the time that he's that he's from and and so th- mostly him and Spock kind of get into this uh, little bit of um, of debate over over the '90s and the eugenics wars and that, and it kind of comes out that uh, that Khan himself was one of the leaders of these enhanced uh, people that tried to take over the world. Yeah, I don't know that they ever say this term in the show, but like it, they, as it kind of become known in like Star Trek fandom as the augments, like is, is kind of, he was like the leader of the augments. Yeah. And so that him and, and Spock kind of trade, trade jabs verbally about that. And they use that to, you know, they, they sort of, first they're sort of arguing about it kind of abstractly and like, was this a good thing for this time in earth? And then at, at one point he says like, we were doing the right thing. We were offering order to the world. And that's when they really find out for sure that, that he was one of those people. Yeah. Leonard Nimoy is great in this episode. He, cause he like, I think this, there's kind of like a fun, like a, an interesting little undercurrent of this where it's, it's hard for me to even necessarily understand like where the show is coming down on it. Because I think Roddenberry definitely, especially, especially during the TOS years, I think definitely kind of does have like, an attachment to like kind of the one great man uh, style of like storytelling. Yeah. But there's this interesting thing that the tension going on between they do a really good job of having Spock kind of be like, I don't understand any of like, like be like, this is stupid. Yeah. Like, like why did humans that, ever like, even like consider this or. Yeah. And there, but there's this scene later though, where they're kind of talking about him where, where it's Scotty and bones and Kirk and Spock, and they're all talking about him. They basically have a little slide projector going of like yep. pictures of Khan from from the nineties, and like they're kind of like, oh yeah, like I remember him. Like I always thought he was kind of cool. And <laughs> uh, Scott uh, Spock is like, what are you guys talking about? Right. Like, like he's he was very bad. Yeah. Like and they're like, yeah, but you know, we do kind of we we still kind of you have to admire his tactical mind or whatever. And yeah. and, and and it is like funny too because. Like, in as much as, uh, like, you know, because then Spock says, well, that's not logical. And it's like, you're, he's right. Like, but at the same time, it is like, yeah, we do kind of. That is kind of a human thing. Yeah. It is a human thing. Like, you know, that's, that's why Alexander the Great is still, like, famous and people still, 
you know, study him. That's why people still read like Sun Tzu's Art of War. And, and like, there's a thing of like, even the, you know, there's some people who won't even acknowledge that it's bad, but like, even the people who we acknowledge is doing bad things, like if they are really smart or good at like their job, when their job is like, you know, military tactics, like there is like this weird level of like, respect that people yeah. give them, even though like, you know, Alexander the Great shouldn't have been conquering all those places. Like it would have been better. It would fewer people would have died, and it would have just been better for everyone if he didn't do that. But like yeah. he, but he still has the word "great" right, like right there in his name. Yeah, but we it, it's it's definitely the the waves of those conversations kind of lap up against like this strange thing that humans do in like kind of a cool way. And this scene is kind of the start of that. That that's like. I think my, probably my favorite that that scene where they're all like talking about him I think is my favorite scene in the in the episode. Yeah. I also think it's it is interesting in this episode, you know, because most of Star Trek is about how like Kirk is the the one great man, is kind of this dashing hero who can do everything and like always saves the day. And it they very much take like a a tonal shift in this episode that he is kind of like whenever he's put up next to Khan, he's sort of the one that's just kind of a regular dude. Like they somehow mm-hmm. managed to make James Kirk seem like, you know, Khan is the one that has all the, even in their first interaction where Khan's sitting in the hospital bed, you know, he's the one that's very like has kind of all this presence and like is the one calling the shots. And Kirk is just kind of like this friendly captain. That's just, just kind of, you know, they sort of make him seem like not necessarily weak, but, almost like ordinary in comparison um, yeah. to Connie's build is this kind of superior in every way, like Superman, um, which is just, you know, it's, it's, I feel like that, that contrast I think is kind of well done, even though in the end Kirk still just kind of manages to beat him up with a piece of PVC pipe. Yeah. That's, 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 I think one of the problems with this episode, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I wonder how much of that is intentional though. And how much of it is just that, like, I mean, I like, William Shatner in, in Star Trek, obviously, but like, man, Ricardo Montalban in both this and in, in, in Wrath of Khan, like he just has like an incredible screen presence. And I wonder yeah. how much of it is just like that. He just is like, he just takes up that space. It, you know, we didn't talk about this I and mean, you texted me later about it, but like after we did the Wrath of Khan episode, we didn't even talk about this. They don't have any screen time together. Yeah. And apparently movie. it was a, it was a ske- there was like a scheduling conflict with some TV show that Ricardo Montalban was on or something, and so him and Kirk are never like him and William Shatner never act together and are never in the same room. And you don't and even you just don't notice. You just yeah, don't even notice for someone that if you if you actually think about what happens in this that movie, he's mostly like after that first scene where he's on the planet with Chekhov, he's mostly just kind of like flying around in another ship that's just sort of out there most of the time. But he just feels, you feel his presence and kind of his antagonism throughout the whole movie, even though he he himself actually, like, does relatively yeah. little compared to what you usually think of, like, a movie villain. Yeah, he's really great. Like, yeah. And he's so good that he, you almost sort of buy the sway he has over MacGyver's as the episode yeah. goes on. I mean, not cause, quite. Because he's also like a very like attractive, good looking man as well. Like, yeah, 
Although not a lantern jawed, like <laughs> not not a not a beautician though, because there is a scene. The first when he meets MacGyver, we skipped over this, but you know he's kind of groom. He's very obviously like kind of grooming her. Right yeah, to, like, there's a very the ship. uncomfortable scene that I again because it was the '60s, I just couldn't figure out how intentional it was of just like like it's a it's a very like stereotypical abusive relationship where Mm -hmm. she comes to him and he like first he ignores her and then then when she tries to leave like he makes her like beg him to ask him to let her stay because he's like no i don't want you here because you didn't do what i want and like yeah is just incredibly like manipulative and abusive and essentially like forces her to help him turn against the crew and take over the ship just by taking advantage of the kind of has this way over her and she's attracted to him and and kind of does that whole thing where he sways back and forth between you know being like nice to her and like telling her that he wants her to be with him and then becoming like very angry and then very cold and just that like emotional abuse is like very uncomfortable to watch and i can't Mm -hmm. tell if it's if we're supposed to be like oh yes this is like a bad thing being done by a bad guy or if we're supposed to just be like women am i right they just like can't control themselves around an attractive man yeah i I think it's supposed to be both unfortunately because like i I think obviously like they're showing what he's doing and it's not a good thing that he's doing and there's a funny moment too where he like the first time he sees her he's like oh you should wear your hair down it would look better on you and then he like there's like a weirdly long scene of him like trying to get her hair down. Yeah, and, like, just he like, just gets like like two little pieces of it, and they're yeah, they just kind of like, like fall like, so much better. Face and he's like, yeah, perfection. And, <laughs> and I watch, I'm watching it with Kim, and like it's just like her hair is still up, and there's just kind of like two pieces of it that have fallen out, and we're just like, that doesn't look better. That looks stupid. <laughs> that's not a, that's not a look. Like you know, then later on, like she has her hair actually down, and it looks. Uh, it looks fine. But yeah, like, cause I think the the key to kind of it being like, it's both is that like, clearly he's bad. And I'll say too, like, I don't think I've ever noticed for the show, an episode of the original series with more intrusive uh, music cues. Like every time, like anything happens, like there's just like a, Ba-da! you know, uh, and yeah. so like every time he does anything, it's like, clearly he's bad. But at the same time, like there's that, icky scene before he wakes up where Kirk takes MacGyver's aside and like lectures her for the way she acted on the ship when she really didn't do anything wrong like she like she was clearly like kind of yeah he says something along the lines of of just like don't let your hormones get the better of you while you're on a mission yeah but she didn't do anything though like she just was like oh he's he's pretty cool looking and and then she said oh you'd save this guy but like that's not there's nothing wrong with her saying that like you know she I don't know. It just seemed like a weird dressing down for him. Yeah. And and that's also, I think, at the time where her, at least what she claims is that, like, she's just, and I think they'd want us to think that, like, this is just something she's saying to cover, but that, she, like, she's fascinated by the, like, historical, as someone who's a historian with, it seems like, not much to do, like, being that close to history in a way that, like, no one ever has been before of like potentially being able to talk to someone that was alive 200 years ago. She's like excited and fascinated by that. Yeah. It's like, um, there's an episode of Duress's development where, uh, <laughs> where, um, like, uh, George Michael, 
the the like the son character on that show has a like a social studies or a history teacher or something who like everyone keeps on saying that she loves Saddam Hussein oh, right. and they, they have to clarify oh no no like they she's fascinated by right. him but like just this all these like oh I love Saddam I mean I'm fascinated by yeah. him yeah. all that all <laughs> those kind of... atrocities it's like how could anybody believe that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, um, that's kind of her vibe um, that's fair. And so she essentially he sort of gets her to to help him, and is able to break out the rest of his crew out of stasis or sleep or whatever they're in, and beam them all over to the Enterprise, and they take over the ship and capture capture the whole crew and and the command crew of the ship. It's at some point during this process, also before like this for some reason they've given Khan a uniform they've given Khan a starfleet uniform <laughs> yeah for part of it he is just sort of hanging out in a, like in a starfleet uniform which doesn't they never explain why like that's not a thing that happens usually on Khan does a lot has a lot of costume changes in this yeah episode cuz when he's in the stasis chamber he's wearing that like sort of like gold mesh and then he has like sort of a hospital gown on when he's in bed like a hospital gun that still shows out his, shows off his sick abs though. Yeah, that's I mean, like a very well, that, that is the theme of most gun. of outside of the Star Trek or the Starfleet uniform. I feel like most show off his like pecs and abs. Um, yeah, because then later on he's wearing like just a jacket. Like he's wearing like a yeah, like a, to, to, like to a, dinner, yes, a dinner jacket and then nothing underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and then has the uniform on after that. Yeah, so he first he uh, breaks into engineering and kind of takes that over and turns off the life support to the bridge, which makes everyone in the bridge like pass out from lack of oxygen. And then they wake up and he's, he's captured all of them along with the rest of his, um, of his crew and is, uh, is essentially taking over the enterprise and intends to take it to, I think he, he wants to take it to like the nearest star base. And then from there, I don't know. Start what, taking over. Start taking Starfleet, over Starfleet. Yeah. The, the United Federation. Today, Starbase Twelve. Tomorrow, the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but and and Kirk has been put into a a decompression chamber. My my wife and I were talking about what is that? What do you think that they use that for? In on the ship, usually, like what? Why do they have a decompression chamber? I yeah, that's a good. That's a very good question. It very much reminded me of like the chambers that you would have in um oh cognitive memory alpha it, it was designed to treat illnesses caused by decompression sickness oh so like the bends or that kind of thing yeah yeah um so so if you like that's what it was for but come out of space too fast or hmm. yeah but yeah but uh it very much reminded me of like a batman 66 thing where like Someone has made a device that like is designed to turn Batman into music or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I can think of. Yeah, or it made me think of I forget one of the Timothy Dalton Bond movies. There's that's I was thinking of that too. Thing. I wasn't gonna say it because I <laughs> that's like much more gruesome in that one. But and I forget what the point of it was, like why that existed in that other than for that is for this. It's for the same thing because that's is it? yeah because that's it's on a ship. Okay, where they have like scuba divers or something like that. That's what I thought of immediately. I didn't want to say it because I didn't know if that was a, a common reference point the Timothy Dalton James Bond movies. But yeah, that's immediately what I thought of. Yeah, because they're it's on a ship and like it's right next to like a a place where you can like 
leave the bottom of the ship to go like scuba uh, diving scuba, scuba diving yeah. yeah so it's clearly for like okay you know the bends and that kind of a thing in that but yeah then they use it to explode that guy's head uh the, the henchman's head yeah. in that movie but so, uh, so anyway so kirk is trapped inside of one of those and um <laughs> and there's one of the augments is guarding him and so then i'm trying to remember kind of the the timeline of this is the good Uhura scene. Yeah. Where, so where I think the next thing, because that's then what sort of inspires MacGyver's to turn back and help the good guys. Right. Is sort of seeing. Yeah. Cause he's going to say like, kind of saying you need to join me or if no one joins me, I'm just going to one by one, put each of you into the decompression chamber and, and kill you. Yeah. Um, and so they start to turn down the pressure in the decompression chamber and you see Kirk like, writhing in pain and suffocating and really really shattering it up yes and then uh i forget why it is that like that uh one of khan's henchmen like tells uhura to do something and she she doesn't and then he slaps her well originally like you can't see kirk on the view screen because they're in a different room from him and so and so she she he's like go you know go over here they, they kind of get her up and they're like, go over here and like turn on the screen. And she's like, I'm not going to do anything. And she's like really defiant. And like they hit her and she's kind of like, all, like looking up at him still like, I'm not going to. Yeah. And she just has this great like look of defiance on her face yeah. for like. It's really good. Yeah. It's almost entirely like wordless from her part. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like it's a little bit sad that like the strongest performance a woman gives in this episode of Star Trek is like the one that's being slapped. Um, but just like the but acting she does you know, with her face. It's clearly bad like, that that's happening though. You know, it's not like there's no, it's no ambivalence about. Yeah. About, and just like, like the sort of like her. defiance and like anger in her face of just like that. She is not going to like break to this or like, she doesn't care what you do. Um, mm-hmm. is just really, really good. Um, very well played by Nichelle Nichols. And then that, I think that is when MacGyver's sort of like asks like, don't make me watch this. Can I leave? And then the the camera that's showing Kirk like goes off, and the screen goes off, and they you know yell at Uhura again, and we see, and then we see that uh, MacGyver's goes up to the guard that's supposed to be like guarding the decompression chamber that Kirk is in, and she tells him, oh, I wrote down the line. It's Khan said to watch him very closely, and so the guy like turns and like pushes his face up against the glass <laughs> and then she like knocks him out from behind and so like she knocks him out and she lets kirk out of the chamber and they release a uh like a knockout gas into like through the ship to knock out all of khan's crew the other part i really liked about that is you know, they knock out all the augments and then they're kind of ushering out, you know, rescuing all of the Enterprise crew. And Scotty, like, takes the time while they're running out to just turn and punch one of the one of the cons crew in the face. Oh, really? I, like, I on his way that. down. <laughs> like, people, these That's people crazy. are, like, already getting knocked out. And he's just, like, instead of just running straight out the door, he, like, takes the time to stop and, like, grab one of them and, like, sock him across the face and then mm-hmm. keep leaving. Um McCann escapes and he's gonna he's gonna self destruct the ship. Yeah, so he gets into engineering, and is is gonna like overload the the warp core and self destruct the ship. And Kirk confronts him there, and they have they have this fight scene 
which, and I think th- this was the one that I, I think I made a comment to you about this over text as well, that there's one shot in this where they, they pull out wide. Um, but other than that, like make no effort to conceal that this is just like two stuntmen, one of whom is wearing a wig that looks kind of like Khan's ponytail that do a, like mm-hmm. one of them, like flips the other one over their back or something like that. But it's so obviously like not Ricardo Montalban and William Shatner. Well, there was one. There was one bit where I thought it was. Maybe I wasn't watching it closely enough. But there, there was one at the beginning where I was like, "Oh, that's like actually." Yeah, I think there was one uh, where like they're like up against a computer bank and like kicking out. Like, there's one that's like a decent stunt that it looks like. Uh, Shatner, Shatner actually does. did, where he yeah. like actually had to like do like a jump kick, and I was like, "Oh, that's actually kind of yeah cool." But then, yeah. But then later on, like it. Yeah, yeah. there's another one where it's just like just two random burly men. Um, yeah which i guess like on tvs at the time in the 60s if you pull out wide enough like probably you can't and you weren't watching it again you know yeah yeah uh this is the thing uh, this is the other thing about this episode because there's a lot that we like about this episode obviously we've been talking about for quite a while but uh you know obviously there's some weird cultural stuff in it but then i remember watching this episode the first time you know probably like seven eight years ago and knowing this was like a big important episode and then kind of like I do feel like the end of it with the fight is kind of a letdown because it's just kind of like they fight each other and it's just kind of like a regular Star Trek fight. You know, it's 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 faster than, you know, the Gorn fight or something. But it's yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like just kind of they lunge at each other and like somebody will kick or like punch or roll. Like Connell, I think, like throws Kirk against the wall a few times because he's big and strong. Yeah, but then but I meant to think that like. Kirk is losing. He's not going to be able to keep it up. And so then he, and it's, then it's almost like he, he pulls out this weird, I think it's supposed to, I don't know, like maybe it's supposed to be like a delithium tube or something and, and starts hitting Khan with it. But it's just like, and then that works. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's like, Oh no, pl- plastic, his, his, his weakness. Or, but, yeah, but it's like, like it's, a, a slightly dense blunt object apparently is all you needed to like knock him out. Yeah. It's just not, the way you want that to end. Yeah, I feel like you want to see, you know, when the hero's faced with someone who's physically, like, superior to them, that he outsmarts him in some way or, you know, like, yeah. uses the fact that his crew is more loyal to him and, like, his friends come to his aid. Yeah, you want him to, like, be able to have other things in his toolbox that are the way he wins mm-hmm. than just, like, he's actually just still better at fighting. Yeah, it's it's... Funny, because I think this is actually, like, a problem with all three appearances of Khan, personally, is that I don't really think that they get dispatched in a way that I find super satisfying. I think this one's probably, I mean, this one or the one, or Into Darkness are probably, like, the worst. But, like, I like I said before, I, I don't really love the way that they end Wrath of Khan, where it's just kind of like, well, they both go into this place and neither of them can see anything, but I guess the Enterprise can see him or something like that. You know, it's just not, it's kind of like hand wavy and and like oh we outmaneuvered him and then shot him with our our, the guns of our ship yeah and i think that's basically what happens i think i feel like that's basically what happens in like not not the same thing but like a similar kind of concept i feel like is what happens in Enter darkness isn't it where it's basically just like well eventually we just kind of like punch and shoot him into submission you know it's like okay well neat you know that's just not it's just not satisfying i thought don't isn't into darkness the one where they like sort of commit some mild war crime like isn't that the one where they 
because all he wants is to like have his people oh, beamed right. back onto his ship, and so they just load bombs into like the pods that he thinks his people are in. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. They threaten him. Yeah, but that one also has the one where just like Spock just like gets mad and beats him up too. I forget if that happens before right. or after. Yeah, that's that. that, that yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of, but I can't. Yeah. yeah, and of course, as we've said before, I think there is a scene in that where they talk to. Leonard Nimoy Spock, and they're like, how did you beat him? And then it cuts away, and we're meant to believe that he told them how they beat him, and then, like, how they beat him is not at all what they <laughs> did. In the... That doesn't help. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Do they know that he's got people in those tubes at that point? Maybe he just tells them that there's people in the tubes or something. I don't know. It's not very well explained. Yeah, I don't remember. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, someday. Someday we'll do Into yeah. Darkness. And... Yes. Um, so yeah, that's almost it. So then they get, then at the end, they get... This is another thing that bothered me about the episode, though, is because at the end, they get sentenced, and basically, Kirk is kind of like, you guys are so smart and and hot and strong that it would be a waste for you to go to jail. Yeah. So, instead, I'm going to... Give you a planet. Yeah, I'm going to maroon you all on a planet that you can, like, rule over. And it's like, well, that seems irresponsible but also just like it is like this kind of dumb thing where it's like oh so basically the message of the episode kind of becomes well these people are better actually because like they don't need we they don't need to be accountable to human laws like <laughs> it it seems yeah know, it just seems like kind of a weird a weird way to end it but uh i mean obviously it allows us to to see him again but uh i don't know it just seems like it, it kind of seems like there's they're getting some preferential treatment yeah um MacGyver's actually goes with them too, which uh, so apparently she gets married to Khan later, because if you recall, I, I had this realization when I was watching the the end of the episode because I was like, oh yeah, in Wrath of Khan, Khan says that his wife was his killed wife by the, yeah. the 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 those worm things on City Alpha Five, and so I was like, oh, that must have she went and then she got uh, she got killed by brainworms. Uh, that's the and sorry, MacGyver's, but. Uh, I don't know. It was not. There are definitely better episodes of it, but there's definitely a lot of stuff about it that's like very compelling too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's an odd one. It's I get what is. I mean, like there's just something compelling about most of these episodes because we just spend so much more time talking about them, even if we don't love them. But like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's very rich television for sure. Mm-hmm. I think also, like, one reason we've talked about this so long is that I think I, I really, I've exhausted my notes. Like, I think I said, like, everything that I wrote down, yeah. um, like, throughout. So, I would say wor- worth watching if you if you somehow haven't watched that episode and you're listening to this episode. It's, it's definitely a good, a good watch, you know, b- besides the kind of cultural issues. So, um, but yeah, well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the episode. Uh, we come out uh, every other week. Our next episode is going to come out in two weeks, and we are doing um, a TNG episode this time. Uh, a, a very good TNG episode. So I would say if you if you don't watch every episode uh, before you listen to the podcast, definitely watch this one. This episode is called Half a Life, and it is uh, Next Generation uh, Season 4, Episode 22. And uh, this is going to be our first, I think our first episode, right? Uh, with, yeah, um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Loxana Troy, one of the all-time best recurring guest stars in, in Star Trek history. 
And uh, so we'll talk about that in two weeks. Um, in the meantime, you can listen to the other shows on the network that we're on, the Kaleidoscope Media Network. There's Here's Johnny, which is a horror media podcast. There's That's Not How Science Works, which is a science and pop culture podcast. And there is Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter podcast. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, check those things out. Uh, and uh, as for us, you can follow us on Twitter at Contracts. You can email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. Contracts is spelled C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. So, yeah, until next time, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.